Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Hey, folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, we have a bunch of fantastic live shows. You should come see us on November 16th in Philadelphia with Janine Garofalo. That'll be at the First Person Arts Festival. And then on the 29th, we'll be at the Pit in New York City with the fabulous Ms. Lillian Devane. Uh, finally, on November 30th, we will be at the Nerdmount Theater in Los Angeles with the incredibly sexy Eric Andre. If you ever want to know where to find out more about our live shows, just go to risk-show.com tour. And that is all I have to say about that. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Weirdo Music behind me now. If any of you out there are thinking of directing a biopic about me one day, just go ahead and hire Weirdo Music for the soundtrack. I couldn't blame you. 
Today's episode is the second in our double feature of terror. The first time we did a Halloween-based episode, it was uh, last year, it was called Eek. And then last week, we had one called Ick. This week's we're calling Ack. We just happen to have, you know, a plethora, an overabundance of spooky stories this year, so we split it into two episodes. It's We're now approaching Thanksgiving, but what the fuck? When I give you an extra helping of spooky stories, you'll take it and you'll like it. We're going to hear from our dear friend, Ms. Susan Kent, again in just a moment. But first, a little something from author Matt Mercier. This is one we call A Fall in the House of Poe. So in the fall of 2002, I had moved to New York and promptly lost both my jobs. I am sitting in Dempsey's Pub on the Bowery, where you go when you're unemployed, and I'm drowning my sorrows in a pint of Guinness, which will likely be my last until I can find a new job. I have no idea how I'm going to stay in New York. And then my friend turns to me. And literally says, do you want free rent for the rest of your life? In New York, I said. And he's like, yeah, New York. I said, well, who, who do I have to fuck to do that? Like, what? That's a, he's like, well, you know, you have to live in the Bronx. I said, ah, okay. He's like, yeah, it's a basement apartment. All right. You know, but it's a caretaking position. You get free rent. All you got to do is look after this old house. I said, okay, that sounds great. Sign me up. He's like, whoa, hold on, cowboy. One more detail. You have to be well-adjusted to live in this house by yourself. Because you see, it once belonged to Edgar Allan Poe. That made me take pause. I'm no stranger to weirdness. I was the kid in high school that wore all black and quoted Monty Python to girls. You know, I can, I'm used to being an outcast. And I thought, no, I, I can do this. And for free rent, I'll do anything. So quickly, before I knew it, I had the job. And once I acquired it, the position, and I moved into my new home, which was a 19th century clapboard farm cottage in a little city park up on the Grand Concourse, I began to brush up on my Poe and realized that I'd perhaps bitten off more than I could chew and that I'd inherited quite the karmic legacy a poe as most people know died penniless alone his wife died at the age of 25 from tuberculosis in the house itself we had the original bed that she died on he walked to her grave every night after she died as legend tells it and he was drinking and he was on opium and nobody in the literary scene of new york loved him he was hated and despised I was a writer, and this was the man whose house I was looking after. Fine. I, I, I was committed to a year. I could not leave. So 
I'm thinking about all of this, and and then, but on top of of Poe's legacy, the house itself is a magnet for eccentric behavior. I I walk out of my house, or Poe's house, one afternoon, uh, and I and there's a giant spidery oak tree in the backyard, and I notice there are some strings, like Blair Witch type strings, hanging off the branches, and there's some like odd artifacts dangling from the ends and I walk up to them and, and, and there's pictures of people hanging on the ends of these strings and and, and, and I go to touch one of them and, and, and somebody from the street goes, hey, don't touch that. That's, that's Santeria Voodoo. You touch that, you'll be cursed. And I was like, look, I, my life is cursed already. There's nothing you can threaten me with. Every weekend, the tourists were my only company for a long time and I would get actors who were portraying Poe in a, in a production and they would rehearse their lines to the bust in the in the parlor. They would recite poetry. I would get PhD and grad students who would drill me on the minutia of Poe's life and get upset if I didn't know everything. I indulged people perhaps more than I should have. But one afternoon in October, early in my tenure, a gentleman shows up at my door dressed all in purple purple vest down to his waist, purple pants, and a purple turban wrapping his head. He looked like the leader of a cult. He was a big guy with broad shoulders and a barrel chest, and he said, I've come all the way from L.A. to see the cottage. And I thought, of course you have. You look like you belong in Los Angeles. And he said, I know it's getting late, but I, I would really love a tour of the cottage. You know, it was 4 o'clock on a Saturday. I was about to close up, but I was like, fine, come on in. So I bring him in and give him the tour, and he's as happy as a pig in mud. He's like, oh, this is wonderful, Poe, Virginia. This is so romantic. I could just die. Oh, my gosh. And he's beside himself with joy, which makes me happy. I'm doing my job. But then he sits down in front of the bronze bust of Poe. He sits in the lotus position, and he tries to light a stick of incense. And I said, sir... This is a 19th century house. You can't light a match. Please, you know, what are you doing? And he looks up at me. He's like, do you know what today is, young man? No. What's today? He's October 7th. I said, okay. Does that have significance? And he's like, you should know. You're the docent here. October 7th is the anniversary of Poe's death. So I'm going to raise up the spirit of Poe. I said, no, you're not. That's ridiculous. You know, you're not going to do that. I can't, you know. No, that's there's no question. I'm closing up, sir. You have to leave the cottage. No, no, no. We have to do this. I'm never going to get another opportunity. I'm never going to be here. So he's insisting. And he, he is a big man. He could easily take me out. His hands are like giant, fingers look like giant sausages. And he's sweating. And he's red-faced. And he's pissed. I don't know what to do. I'm not going to call the police. You know, what am I going to say? There's an illegal seance going on in my, you know, in my house, in Poe's house. And so I try to use reason, like a fool. And I said, you know, Poe didn't die here. His spirit isn't here. He died in Baltimore, on the street, drunk. You should go to Baltimore. There's a museum there with a caretaker there. You should go bother that guy. And he said, no, no, it doesn't matter. His spirit can travel anywhere. It can happen here. It can happen here. And he starts chanting in this, to this day, I don't know what it was. It was chanting in tongues or what, but it freaked me out. I had been living by myself for far too long. And my grip on reality was beginning to sever. And I thought, 
he's actually going to do this. He's going to rip the fabric of reality, and, and the spirit of Poe is going to come back, and he's going to be angry, and he's going to be angry at me. So I, I'm beside myself. I don't know what to do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm out of ammunition. But then the guy looks at me. He's like, it's getting dark outside. Do you think my sob will be safe? I said, your sob? You, you drove up here? He's like, yeah, I can't stand the filthy subways. I drove up here. It's parked out there on the concourse. Do you think it'll be safe? I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Do you have the club? It's a, it's a rough neighborhood. This the, it's the Bronx, man. Come on. And he said, oh, my God. Really? Oh, I should go. Ch- I'll go check on it. I never saw a man move so fast. He jumped out of that lotus position like a transformer he ran out the gate and i ran after him with my padlock and i locked up the gate and i ran back inside to hide in my basement i was so wound up lying in my bed wondering what i'm doing in this job and i begin to hear noises in the ceiling like a scratching noise in the ceiling I think, oh, this is so cliche. Now I'm hearing things. And I, and I go and I flip the light switch that leads up the stairs. And there's a giant rat at the top of the stairs. And I, I scream and I, I jump backwards. And the rat falls into my apartment. And I run into the shed. I grab a trash picker. And now I'm dancing with this rat. It's scurrying along the perimeter of my apartment. It finally gets in the corner and I just nail it right in the stomach. This white pus explodes out. It's wriggling and it's, it's squealing and it finally just dies. And I take it out into the rose garden and I bury it with a trowel. Just like a post story of some kind. And then I go back into the cottage and I, now I really can't sleep. And I make a pot of coffee. And I pick up a Poe biography and I turn to the section on his death, given the day. And nobody knows how he died for sure. But they do know that he died in Baltimore, penniless, alone in the gutter with the rats. And now I'm sitting here, a writer, alone, penniless, underground, with my own family of rats. South Georgia and in the South there are a lot of creepy stories. I happen to come from a long line of creepy Ouija board stories. It seems like everyone I know has some tale about a planchette flying across the room or tables wobbling or lights flickering. 
And everyone, being Christian, decided that Ouija boards are unilaterally evil. I think that's probably why my mom was so drawn to them. She loved spooky things. She loved telling stories about the afterlife and hearing ghost stories. She was always up for a midnight run out to the mausoleum in the middle of the woods where kids supposedly did satanic rituals or out to footsteps on the side of town where you parked, you turn off all your lights, make sure the car's turned off, and you wait. And a old railroad worker who was decapitated hundreds of years ago comes by on a search for his missing head. My mom, of course, had her own creepy Ouija board story. She was 21. It was December of 1966. And she and a friend were playing the game. And most people, when they play Ouija board, they start off with innocuous questions like, are there any spirits here? And then, you know, you move on to, will I be famous one day? Or am I going to be rich? But my mom would always jump right into, when am I going to die? She asked that question on this day, and the Ouija board had an answer. December 31st, 1966, that very year. In fact, that very month. Mom followed up with, well, how is it going to happen? And the Ouija board reported that she would die in a car wreck. Well, am I going to linger or is it going to be quick? And the Ouija board responded, D-O-A. Mom didn't really think a whole lot of it. Uh, she was talking about it later that night at dinner with her daddy. And he said, well, Bobby Joe." I reckon you're not going to be using the car on December 31st, 1966. But Daddy, that's New Year's Eve. I've got to go out. What are you talking about? Nope, I'm taking the car. And so Grandpa took the car that day, and he went out fishing, spent the whole day by himself, and on the drive back, he had a heart attack and crashed his car head-on into a bridge abutment. Uh, the state patrolman who found him pronounced him dead on arrival. DOA, December 31st, 1966. A few years after Grandpa died, Mom had gotten married and had me. I was probably two at the time, and she and her best friend Cece were playing with the Ouija board. And they were joking back and forth. Uh, Cece was not like my mom at all when it came to creepy things. She was terrified of her own shadow. She didn't want any part of any supernatural anything. And so mom said to her that night, well, Cece, bless your heart. I swear you're going to have the hardest time if I die first because I am going to haunt you every day of your life. And Cece replies, Oh, Barbara, please don't even say that. That's just awful. I can't believe you. That's, why would you torture me? And once Mom realized that she was serious and was actually scared, she said, All right, all right, listen, I'll make a deal with you. 
I promise that if I die first, I will not haunt you. If you will promise me that if you die first, you will haunt me. They made the pact and they moved on. A few years after that, Cece was diagnosed with a brain tumor and it was a very aggressive cancer and it killed her quickly. Coincidentally, she also died on New Year's Eve in 1978. After Cece's funeral, Cece's mom gave me a crucifix that used to hang in Cece's bedroom. Cece's husband gave my mom a piece of embroidery that she had made for Cece that read Friends, Cece and Me. And we hung the crucifix in my mom's bedroom and the embroidery on the hallway wall where all of our family photos were. It was the summer of 87. I was about to go into my senior year of high school. I was home by myself and I was getting ready to go out with a friend of mine. The way you got ready in my house was you got everything done in the bathroom, all your makeup, all your hair, and then you went to my mom's bedroom where the only floor-length mirror was on the top of her dresser. So in order to stand in front of it, you climbed up on the bed and then you turned around and checked yourself out in the mirror. Well, that's where the crucifix was. Uh, this particular day, as I was climbing up on the bed, greeting the crucifix, as always, there was a name written on the wall underneath Jesus' left arm, Cece. C-E-C-E. -E. And it was there at a 45 degree angle. And it was in this green paint and I completely freaked out. I threw myself backwards into the dresser. I ran down the hallway towards the kitchen phone and I dialed three times trying to get the numbers right before my mom finally picked up. Creations, flowers, and gifts. This is Barbara. And I'm screaming and I can't get the words out. And finally, I just scream Cece into the phone. And mom says, oh my God, Susan, I thought you were being killed. We've been waiting for this for years. What's wrong with you? Later that night, my mom comes home and she pulls out old letters to compare the handwriting. And the Cece matches up. And then she pulls out every green pen, marker, coloring pencil, eyeliner, trying to match the same color on the wall and she can't find anything. She questions me over and over. Did you do this as a joke? Because this isn't funny to me. You know, this is really serious. Cece meant a lot to me and I need to know that this is real. And I did what I could to convince her, but I wasn't really sure that she believed me. A couple weeks later, we're going to bed one night and my mom is in her room and I hear this screaming. And I find her in a pile clutching this painting from the wall and she's crying hysterically and I'm just screaming, Mom, are you okay? What happened? What happened? What can I do? Should I call someone? And she doesn't reply. She just holds the painting up. And she turns it around so that I can see this note that she's written on the back of it. 
And in her handwriting, it says, Is it you? I hope so. I love you. And across her handwriting, in that same green ink, at that same 45 degree angle, is one word. Yes. Mom still didn't really believe me, even though she wrote that note herself, didn't tell any other living being about it. Um, she checked it herself every night, and she's the one who found it. But not long after that happened, we were all sitting in the living room one night. My sister and I were on the sofa, and my mom's across the room from us on her lazy boy, and her back is to that hallway with all of our family photos and we're watching TV and all of a sudden there's a crash behind my mom's head and she just looks at me with these huge wide eyes Susan what was that well mama you know that embroidery thing you made for Cece it just jumped off the wall And then two years ago, my mom was on hospice care and was dying as a result of her own bout with cancer. And she was in a morphine haze for most of the three weeks I was home with her before she died. But one day she woke up and we were talking and she looked up at me and she said, Susan, you know, you can tell me the truth about Cece. And I looked down at her, and it felt so incredible to be able to say, honestly, I promise, Mommy, I've been telling you the truth about Cece all along. This is Risk. This is our friend Sean Lee behind me now, and we just heard from the New York storyteller Miss Susan Kent with a story we call If These Walls Could Talk. Before that, and at the tail end of Matt Mercier's Edgar Allan Poe story, we featured a song called Killer, the David Crabb remix by Automatic Arms. Well, folks, you probably already know that Risk and the Story Studio are a small business. And our operations, including the mailing and shipping that we do, have been improved thanks to Stamps.com. You can, too. You can buy and print official U.S. postage with your own computer and printer whenever you need it, 24-7. No more wasting time at the post office. No leasing a postage meter. More features than a meter. And Stamps.com customers receive special discounts on priority mail... Express Mail, and more. Stamps.com customers have already printed over $3 billion in postage. So use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial, plus a $110 bonus offer, including a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. Don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. 
Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in RISK. At stamps.com, enter R-I-S-K. The final story of our double feature of terror comes to us from my good friend, Mr. Ben Grant. You know him from Reno 911 and The State, and he's written a ton of wonderful movies. Here he is at our monthly live show at the Nerd Melt Theater in Los Angeles. This is Ben Grant with a story we call When Things Go Bump in the Night. Thank you guys, thank you. So I asked my uh, wife for permission to tell this story, and she said <laughs> yes, and so I'm gonna tell this story. There are two things you need to know about this story before I tell it, and one is that uh, my wife is Korean. She came here uh, when she was three, and so she was, she's a valley girl. She's like raised in the valley, and that's, that's what she's like. Her parents are very, very traditional Korean. Her mom, speaks very little English. Um, when she sees me, she always says, Ben, you look fine. <laughs> and that's... <laughs> um, and they're great. They love me and I love them. So that's the first part you need to know. And then the, the second part is that I love ghost towns. And I don't, I don't know why, but like I love going and finding these like weird, really hard to get to places and just kind of looking around. It's something about like... that mankind like lost ground you know like we lost this one and we had to pull back and like give nature this like town and let the town like get taken again it's, it's so cool to me so those are the two things you need to know so um we my wife and i are driving jeepzilla which is what she calls my vehicle um <laughs> back from yellowstone uh and we're, we're driving and we're going like over the continental divide and we take out the map, we're like taking back roads because it's so beautiful up there. And, and we find on the map that we're very, very close to two ghost towns that are side by side called South Pass and Atlantic City. And so we get out the guidebooks and stuff. And one of the guidebooks says that there is a working hotel up there called Miner's Delight. And it was originally opened in like 1860. Uh, so I called and I said, do you have any, you know, we're in the area. Do you have any availability tonight? I, anybody there? Can we get a room? And the guy said, nope. And I was like, really? You're, you don't have a single room available? And nope. And I was like, oh, okay. And I, I, I hung up and I was like, that can't be true. Like, like literally, it's, it's, in the, it's, it's in the middle of nowhere. There are 12 rooms. It's like a Wednesday. Like, 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 I, I thought that's, that's impossible. And so, impulse. I have no idea why I said this, but I told Kathy, like, call and do your, like, thickest, you know, Korean accent. Call and ask for a room with, like, your Fabius, the one you go out, like, with bad MTV auditions, you know, like, like, like call and, like, ask with that accent. And she's like, okay, and she called, and, she, and I can't even do it. But she's like, uh, uh, two people, uh, we uh, five hours away uh, on the honeymoon. 
Uh, and and she, she calls, and the guy was like, absolutely, we have a room. Um, and she was like, what do I do? And I was like, yeah, let's get it. And so she has Shim, uh, Kathy Shim and husband, and uh, we made a reservation, and she hung up. And we're like, okay, why did that work? Uh, like, and we're driving, and, 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 like, and I pull off, and we're, we're heading down this like, crazy road, and she's like, they're gonna kill us. Like, they, 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 they think that we're like foreign tourists, and we, they, no, nobody knows where we are, and they're gonna kill us up there. And then as we're driving up this mountain, it occurs to us halfway up, she has to do that accent the whole time. <laughs> and I don't know why it didn't occur to us, but it's not like a hotel where you like check in to some kid and then you go up to your, like it's like you're in the middle of nowhere and it's this couple runs this place and we're obviously the only ones there unless there's a bunch of Koreans there. Like, like uh, and so she has to do this accent the whole time. And she's like, nope. Like, <laughs> like, I'm not gonna do it. There's no way. Uh, and at this point, it's like maybe an hour to sunset. We are two miles from Atlantic City, 10 miles from the highway, like, and so we go. And so we meet the couple, and uh, they, they, they seem very, very nice. They're like in their 60s, I would say. And uh, Kathy pours it on so thick. Like, like she, hello. <laughs> and, and when, and when, and, and when we get to the room, she's confused. Shuza? Like, 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 like she has no idea, like, where she's never seen. She acted like she'd never seen a doorknob. Before. Oh, wow. And, 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 like, and so, and, and, because and, it's my fault that we're here. And so she's working me, and like, so we get to the room, and we close the door, and we're, we stay in a cabin. And the, the place is incredible like uh it's like this old it looks like an old it looks like unforgiven so it's like this bar in the middle of nowhere uh you walk into the bar there's a big bar on one wall and there's stairs leading up to four rooms so it's like an old western and it's real so we're like let's go to the steak and we'll be quiet we'll, we'll sit in the corner we'll have steak and, and we'll get a beer and so we go up to this place and we walk into the saloon and of course, Roger and Amy are, are like, the, our hosts are there, of course, because there's only one place to eat in town. And there are like 30 people there. They're all like, there's only one restaurant within like 70 miles. So it's all like, it's people for, they're not out. So it's like country guys on a date and like uh, cowboys and like weird, dirty, filthy people at the bar, like drinking beer. And, and, it, and it would be great, except when we walk in, they've obviously all been talking about us the entire time. So it's like a Western. You walk in and everybody goes, Shwo! and is like looking at us. And so we go and sit in the corner and, and Kathy is having the time of her life because she acts like she's never seen corn on the cob before. <laughs> and so I have to like, no, no, no. You pick it up, you eat it like this. And so everybody in this place is like kind of eating and like kind of watching this like this vaudeville act that like we're doing in the corner. And uh, they, we ordered, uh, the, the, the place bought us two whiskeys and two beers. And the whiskey, she acted scared of the whiskey. Like, like, like she drank, she's like, Wah! and like she got up. And like, and I had to like sit her down, no, 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 it's okay, you don't have to drink it, we'll add ice cubes. And like, and so, and people were coming over, and like a guy came over and was like, where are you from? And, and like, yeah, we're from LA, and it's my wife, uh, she's from Sora Korea. And, uh, and he, like a guy showed us his gun. Like, and, and like, and like, like, 
this is the gun I, yeah, you've never been, never seen anything like this before. Um, and the whole town is full of cows. There's cows everywhere. It's like open range. And so one guy showed us how to milk a cow, took us outside and showed her, and she was like, wah, and, and, and that she'd never seen a cow milking before. And so we ate, uh, and we went back to the room, and we're like, oh my god. And, and we're like walking through this ghost town. Like it's a super cool, super creepy, pitch black, and we're like walking. And as we walk up, the hosts are waiting outside the door because they want to they split a bottle of wine with us. So we're like, oh wow. Like we still can't go to bed. And so we sit down with these people, and we have wine, and it, and, and like we talk for hours, and it turns out he was in the Korean War. Um, and 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 he, but and, and it was like it was this great it was like this great night, and we we drank wine, and he was like, I've never I fought side by side with Koreans, I've never seen braver people, like they had nothing, and like and like he he gave like this speech, and he he, he like stopped us, and he left, and he came back with a Coke bottle, a Korean Coke bottle that he'd kept since 1958. Uh, and showed it to her, and Kathy like wept. Kathy cried and like hugged the Coke bottle, and it was great. And like, it's with this long, long, long night. And and even like we got like when we split one bottle of wine, we kind of nursed wine in this like ancient saloon that we're the only people in. And he even like the the wife even, and I said, well, so is this place haunted? And they were both immediately like. Yeah. <laughs> And he, I know, had seen this thing, but she, she talked about it. She said, there is, there is a, there's a, a man here, there's a man presence that always stands at the foot of your bed, and he's about 6'6", six, six, and he has bright eyes, and they're right there. And he says, she said, she's, she's seen him three times, uh, that she's woken up, and he's standing at the bed, and she screams, and, and Roger wakes up, and then he's gone, and other guests have seen him too. Uh, and Kathy does not like that shit at all. Um, so we like, so we say goodnight, and we went back to our room. I'm a, I'm a drinker. I can drink. Um, and this night, I've had a beer and a whiskey, and four adults split a bottle of red wine. That's, I, that's breakfast. You know, that's, that, you know, you know that, that, that's, that's not a lot of alcohol. Like, uh, there was a high altitude. It's at uh, 7,600 7, 7, square feet, so there's high altitude. There's that. Um, so I remember walking in. I know I locked all of the, I bolted the door, which had a bolt and a lock and a key that you take out. I know that I checked all the windows were locked because Kathy made me do that because she was terrified to be up here in this weird place. And then, the last thing, I know I did all that stuff. And then Kathy and I both woke up at 5.14. And we were laying in bed, and we like looked at each other. I just woke, did you just, yeah, I just woke up. And like outside, like the light is kind of like gray, and it's, it's dawn. And we like check her phone, and it's 5.14. And we're like, do you remember going to bed? Do you remember? And we're like, no. And like, and like, the conversation might not have happened that quickly. What happened was, we like get up, and Kathy's green chewing gum is stuck to the wall. <laughs> she would not do that. If you, you, I can't imagine the amount of money you would have to pay her to take out chewing gum and stick it on a wall and like leave it there. 
one of my condoms was thrown against the other wall. <laughs> where it was stuck to the wall. <laughs> like, I am a, I'm a neat freak. I'm, I like, like, that's like a, I wouldn't even do that as like a joke. Like, our clothes are everywhere. Like, our clothes are, like, we, there's a lamp in a corner that's knocked down. Like, our clothes are everywhere. And we're like, and we're fine, and we're like, do you remember having sex? No. Do you remember? No. Do you, and we're like, kind of looking around the place, and the thing is still bolted, and the windows are still bolted, and, and, and after a little while, she says, ghosts had sex through us. <laughs> And uh, and to the and she still thinks that Go, ghosts had sex through us like crazy minors been horny since like 1880 and like some crazy like harlot got in me and we had like crazy fucked up ghost sex and like and I and 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 like and I was like what the fuck and so we were walking we went outside and walked around as the sun was coming up and we're like having these conversations. And what I have never said to her, and I hope she does not listen to this podcast, but after like 30 minutes, I was thinking, did we get roofied? <laughs> like, 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 and, 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 and I was putting it together like, well, I remember he opened the wine and I was like trying to put it all together. Like, we opened the wine together. Want, like, he didn't go into another room and bring out drinks, you know, like, like, <laughs> you know, like, like. And, and I was like, did, well, why? And I was like, none of our stuff was stolen. Like, did, they, did a weird old 60-year-old man and woman, like, in on this? And they bring people, like, and, 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 I, and I've never said that to her because it would really, really upset her a lot. Um, and that's what I'm thinking. But, the, like, the doors are locked. The, everything's bolted. But it's his fucking place. There might be a fucking trap door if this is, like, what he does. Um, you know, like, so... So this is what's going through my my head. My head is like, did we get roofied? Is this some weird fucking like horror movie that, that and like and I'm like thinking it and she's thinking that we had ghost sex, which is just she's not like cool about that. She's like, ah, you know, she's terrified. Like, and as we're having this conversation, we walk down back and there's Roger and Amy. They're like like right there like waiting for us for breakfast because it's a bed and breakfast. Uh, and you, they, we've been talking all night about how we don't have any plans, we're just wandering, so there's no excuse of like, I got a dentist appointment, we really need to get on the road because we have a, you can't. And so we, we sat down and had breakfast and they made us corn muffins and coffee and we're pretending that she can't speak English and we're doing this like vaudeville act where she's never seen a syrup. And she thinks we've had ghost sex and I think, did these old guys just rape us? Like, like, <laughs> like, And we kept up the act, uh, and we thanked them, and we left. And on the way back, like we're on this crazy road, and we're we're bumping, and we see like this this weird antelope with this beautiful face that looks like something out of like Princess Mononoke. It was like this thing with like striped face and white. And it was in the middle of the road, and it just stopped there. And we stopped, and we waited for it to leave. And she turned to me and she said, "I want you to make me one promise, Yaksok." And yak sock means she's fucking serious. It's like, like Korean for promise, and you shake on it. Yak sock. And I was like, okay, yak sock. We will never, ever stay at a fucking bed and breakfast again. <laughs> and we have not. 
Thank you for having me. <laughs> For this week, folks, this is the Future Heads behind me now. Do not forget to comment about us on iTunes. Those comments on iTunes, they help to raise our profile. Also, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Risk Show. You can join the conversation. You can talk with us about episodes of the show at MaximumFun.org in the forum. We are the newest members of the Maximum Fun Network of podcasts. Go on over there and become a member. That is a great way to support us. If you want to pitch your own stories to us, go to the submissions page at risk-show.com. And then there's those live shows coming up November 16th at the First Person Arts Festival in Philly with Janine Garofalo, November 29th at the Pit in New York with Lillian Devane, and November 30th at NerdMelt in Los Angeles with Eric Andre. Whenever you want to find out where we're performing next, go to risk-show.com tour. At thestorystudio.org, I am teaching a two-day storytelling workshop on November 17th, and a one-day storytelling for business workshop on December 9th. And as always, there are those one-on-one storytelling coaching sessions that I do over Skype. Learn more at thestorystudio.org. We'll be back next week with one of my own long-form stories. It's been a while since we've done one of those. And that leaves just one thing left to say. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. God, Emily. Neither of the possibilities are great.
I guess I would rather be ghost ghost sexed than uh, sexed by old people. I guess that's my preference. So, uh, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you rather be raped by a ghost than by like a sixty-year-old dude? Even if the ghost was a sixty-year-old dude when he died, it's just. His dick is still mostly mist, so it'll be... Yeah. It'll be shaped by the grip of your vaginal walls. Yeah. You know, like blowing smoke into a wine glass. Yeah, that's what ghost rip is like. 